What characteristics should be the mark of a believer in Christ? Well, join us and find out. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. Marvelous Sunday school hymn we used to sing as children, right? Well, there is a lot of truth to that little hymn, and that's what we're looking at today in Hebrews chapter 6. Welcome. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. The characteristics of a true Christian, what they look like, how they act, it's all straight ahead as we continue our weekend series here in Hebrews. With this edition of Truth For Today now, our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard. Some of you just walk in, walk out, walk in, and this church could go to pot and it would never be changed by you because you're a taker, not a giver. And we wouldn't know you're a Christian by that, that attitude. He says here, I know I could see the love of God working among you. You're, you're helping them. Listen, let, we'll just move from this. This is too convicting. That the model of, you know, when you say this, look in our language. I love you. Watch this now. Wait, wait. You just said you loved your pet turtle. You moved up to your dog. You included your grandma. You, you said you love mom. And now you're saying you love me. What, in what way do you love me any different than the turtle? Love in the English language has absolutely no meaning. We don't know what it means. I like you. Uh, I love you, baby. No, you don't. You're lusting for me. You're trying to get me to go to bed with you, but you don't love me. You're going to drop me after tonight. And if I got sick, if I got pregnant, you wouldn't know my name. But you just said you love me. Am I telling the truth? That's why Hollywood makes marriages about one night, or rather films about one night stands. They make no movies about marriages. Because Hollywood specializes in one night stands. The wine, the ambiance, the mood, the, the, the. Could you give us a film of a 30-year marriage? Oh, man, we don't know what that is. You mean you'd be with the same woman 30 years? Yeah. Yeah, you, you could have, man, that, that's putting up with a whole lot. Yeah, that's right. It sure is. Has she been putting up with a whole lot? Make me a movie, Hollywood, on that. You don't know a thing about it. You don't know anything about a love that will sacrifice for a woman dying of cancer and you won't bail out on her. That's love. This is love that sacrifices. God so loved that he lusted for us. No, he so loved that he sacrificed his best for us. That's God's love. I love you. I value. I put an estimation on you that you're worth sacrificing for. Now, I want to tell you, that hits the root of my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my conceit. But, oh, I don't know if I love like that. I don't even know if I want to. I might get dirty. I might get crucified. There's no safe way to love. If you dare love, you, you, you're set up to get hurt. 
I've got relationships. I've had many of them that I just don't know whether to go any further because I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. I don't think it's that stable. I don't want to invest much more because I'm waiting for them to walk out. And so we all become very uh, this way in relationships. How are you? How are you? And, and so we become God's frozen few. We're, we're all right. Am I dancing? Yes, I am. And so, like that. But look, it amazes me. What was the last thing Christ did before he died? He stooped and washed their feet. And John 13, 1 said the reason he did it, he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. I'm willing to stoop, serve you, and then die for you. I see this kind of love working in you people. I believe that you know God. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you all are doctrinally on the same page. I was born again among people that don't hardly believe half the stuff I teach around here, and they're just as saved as any of you smart Alex. Just as saved. You don't get saved based on IQ. He saves children. We all don't have to say it the same way. But they loved each other, and that's how I knew it. It was a contagious Christianity. It was the real thing. I've gained more knowledge, but sometimes I don't know if my heart has kept up with what my knowledge is. I wish my heart would enlarge. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul said something heartbreaking. In the Greek, he says this to the Corinthians. It is a strain for you to love me since you have no room in your heart. It literally is a Greek word for I give you cramps. Cramps is I'm tight. There's no room to move. He said, it's cramping you to love me. But it doesn't cramp me to love you for God has enlarged my heart. I had a brother one time tell me, I have found it difficult to love you, for I have closed my heart to you. I would say to you, don't lose your first love. If you quit loving, who cares if you've got the knowledge of angels, could talk in the tongues of men and angels, and you know all mysteries. Who cares? God won me to himself, not by a knowledge contest, but by loving me enough to die for me. That's how I know God loves me. Amen. Willing to die for me. And this world, he said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. And the reason they don't want to come to our churches, the reason they don't want to know us, they find us judgmental, critical, uh, do nothing, and a shrunken heart. God forbid that we think that's what God does. God changes the heart, gives us a heart to love people. What a marvelous thing. We're known when we love. Just love like him, and God won't forget it. When you've done anything for his people, why? Jesus said, you fed me. Uh, you visited me in prison. And they say to him in Matthew 25, when did we ever see you this way? He said, when you were good to the least of these, when you visited the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Oh, that we can get a view of how God views people. But we're so selective in who we're going to give our love to. God was just willing to love anyone. What a challenge. He goes on now, 
And he tells him in verse 12, I want you to imitate those who have lived by faith. For God's people are known by uh, their faith. Uh, a faith that trusts God. A faith in all circumstances. And, and that's the heart. My just one shall live by faith. Now, what does it mean to live by faith? Basically, it's an attitude, I will trust God no matter what. I will trust, well, when you say, I trust God, that's nice, wherever he is, but God uh, has made it a little bit simpler for us. He's brought it down. I have spoken. I've given my word. And those who trust me, trust what I say. And and they seek to obey what I say. They seek to be... um, Governed by what I say. So people of faith are the people of a book. uh, The people of an attitude of trusting God. And he goes on to say the story of Abraham. Imitate someone like Abraham. What about Abraham? God calls him in Genesis 12. He's a moon worshiper. He's not even looking for God. He doesn't know the true God. He's a pagan. He's an idol worshiper. Down there, and God in sovereign grace just calls him out. Leave your home. Go to a land I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all nations through you, Abraham. Just do what I say. Well, he goes. He winds up in chapter 15. God makes this uh, covenant with him, puts him to sleep, and uh, while he's there, he makes this covenant in which he says, I'm going to give you a promised son. Eliezer isn't going to be your heir, but I've got a promised son. And Sarah's laughing in chapter 18. God's telling me as an old woman past childbearing that I'm going to be the mother of a nation. And she busts out laughing. You've got to be kidding. God didn't like it too much. And uh, uh, you know what they named Isaac? Laughter. He's a laugh. This is a miracle. So, he gets this promise in Genesis 12. 25 years later, God gives him the boy. And in the meantime, he helped God out and had a son by Hagar. Sarah's idea, you need to go in and help God out. Well, guess what? He fathered something that's been a thorn in their side to this day. All the Arab nations. Because he's going to help out God. They got nervous waiting on God. Because they had to wait 25 years. And then they get this boy, Isaac. Isaac grows up, probably the age of 12, 13. Go sacrifice your son, Isaac, on Mount Moriah. They go there. He lifts the knife. He's ready to kill the boy. God intervenes. At that time, God says, I have made you a promise, but now I'm going to make an oath by my name. I'm going to add to that my oath on top of my promise that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to do exactly what I said. I mean, double, double, I'm going to do it. And he said that Abraham for 25 years waited on God Waited on God 
until he saw God fulfill the promise. And he still waited. By the time he died, he never did see the Messiah that God promised. Why, you idiot. No, 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 no. Just because it doesn't happen in your lifetime. You know, I've been believing in the coming of the Lord uh, even from before I was saved. How many of you believe Jesus would come, could come any moment for at least 50 years? Amen. Why, you idiots? No, no, no. We're closer than when we begin. I want to see him one way or the other. Subway or airmail? I want to see him. But he is coming. He is coming. Set all the dates you want. Dates have always, they've missed everything. But he's coming. And here's Abraham. I can imagine the neighbor said, hey, you're going to have a house full of slaves. All you've got is Eliezer. No, no. I've been promised a promised son. By who? See her? This beautiful woman called Sarah. Can you imagine? A woman, 75, 78, says, you know, you might need to see a gynecologist. Uh, they haven't been having too many babies lately. Are you going to get uh, some infertilization help? What are you going to do, Abraham? I'm going to just believe what God said he can do. And he commends them, and he's calling them back. Keep trusting God in the midst of all this pain. Keep waiting on God. And I think the hardest part probably of faith living is waiting on God's timing. Uh, God's going to do it. I want to give you a promise, son. Well, a promise means now. And it didn't work out that way. And uh, he waited patiently because he said, God cannot lie. He made an oath. I'll take him at his word. And the biggest test in your life is, can you keep trusting God's Word when things are contrary, when you're in all kinds of tests? Uh, and that's the test. My just ones, they walk by an attitude of faith our whole life. Then he goes on finally and he says, they're known by having hope. He said in verse 18, that we would have refuge in the God that we are holding fast to, that we have hope. And this hope is like an anchor to our soul. We have this assured, steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What is hope? Uh, I like what I heard someone say, hope is simply faith in the future. I, I've got hope that God will do what he said in the future that gives me hope. Uh, I like to think of it as being positive expectation about future things. And uh, as we think about hope, I read an article by Dr. Armin Nikolai Jr., professor of psychiatry at Harvard, Harvard Medical School, and he said today there are now uh, 11 million patients in the United States suffering from depression and needing treatment. 
Over 250,000 of these patients have attempted suicide. Uh, if you know anything about the youth cut culture, cutting uh, suicidal attempts is a youthful phenomenon. Uh, they deal with it in our youth group. Girls and not guys as much as girls cutting themselves, cutting themselves. Despair. And he said that what he sees, of all things, that in the explosive increase in depression and hopelessness, hopelessness within our society is that all spiritual resources, uh, interesting enough, seem to have been undercut. He said, historians and social scientists tell us that we have fewer spiritual resources to draw from than at any time in Western cultural history. Uh, spiritual roots have been cut off and forsaken. Many young people feel their culture failed to provide an answer to the questions of purpose, meaning, destiny. We've become the age of despair. There's a great spiritual vacuum, and no one has any answer to the crises of meaning. Therefore, we have become a culture of angst, and we've become a culture of hopelessness, depression, despair, and we've cut all of our moorings for, from anything that says there's spiritual help. Where do you get hope when you're depressed? Where do you get hope if you're a 15-year-old today and you don't know what's going to happen in the world? Your mom and dad are fussing every night and headed for a divorce. Uh, you may be popping pills already, and you've all, you know you're flunking two classes, and you, they meet you. Where would you send them for hope? We just had a boy, a young man in our church, commit suicide that grew up in this church. Went through Berean High School. Went through our youth group. Grew up in Arwana. Despair and jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge was his only answer. Having prayed with his mother and dad the night before, the night before he jumped, asked his mother to pray over him that night. And she did. Hopelessness. And here these believers suffering for their faith, being uh, persecuted, suffering alienation from their community. Their houses, as you go to chapter 10, will be destroyed. Their businesses, you, you're taking my means of income, my neighborhood, uh, saying that I'm no longer Jew because I've accepted Messiah. Where do I go? And he says, you have been clinging to Christ who has become your hope and like an anchor in the midst of a storm for our hope goes right into the third heaven. It's tied to heavenly resources and it's right where Christ who is ministering as our high priest is. Our hope comes from above. Our hope is anchored in God, nothing in this world. What can you ensure in your world that will guarantee you you won't die of bad health, you won't die broke, you won't die widowed, you won't? How can you guarantee your future? Ensure yourself to the hilt 
and you can't guarantee how you're going to go out. There's only one place you can get a promissory note of what your future will be, and it will be for sure, and it's the promises of God about your future. You will be resurrected. You will be with Christ when you die. You will get a brand new body. You will reign with Christ someday. You will escape divine judgment. On and on and on. Sure promises that even though Luther said, my body, they may burn. They may destroy this, but I stay with Jesus. You can't do any more to me after you burn me up. I still have a future. My future is I will see Christ. I will be with Christ. I will reign with Christ. I will spend eternity with Christ. I have a hope beyond this life, beyond pay bonuses, beyond dinners, beyond sex, beyond movies. I've got something that goes beyond everything this life offers. It's anchored in Christ. Because there is more to life than this life. And uh, when you don't know the future... I would say as an unsaved boy in a Christian home, the thing that scared me the most about being alive is I had no hope. And I had no excuse. I just didn't want to think the hope was found in Christ. I wanted hope in this life. And in this life, uh, we were facing World War, Vietnam, drugs, everything. I'm in the Bay Area. Nothing looked like it was getting better. Everything's getting worse, 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 worse. And guess what? It has, and it will, and it will get worse. Watch Fox News all you want. They'll never tell you how it's going to get better. They can tell you how bad it is, but they don't know how to cure it. The cure is put your faith in Christ who makes your future certain, and you don't need to pop a pill. You need Christ. If you're here without hope, if you're here in depression, I've got good news for you. Christ can lift your head up. He can give you the assurance of your future. He can assure you that you become a child of God, that you'll have eternal life, and that you won't face judgment, but you'll face a wonderful father because you accepted his son. What a great future you have if you just take Christ. Take Christ and your future will forever be changed. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Closing out our time together today, we would remind you that copies of the broadcast, as always, are available. If you would like to review them at your convenience or use them in a small group study, pass along to a friend or family member. Again, simply contact us here at Truth For Today, and we'll make sure that you get a copy. The entire series is available as well. And throughout the month of August, as you become a TFT sustainer with a gift of any amount, we have a very special gift we'd like to send your way with a little bit more about it. Our teacher and pastor once again, here's Pastor Phil Howard. I think that oftentimes, especially we who loved Reformed theology, we're in court we're before a righteous judge, and we're coming before the righteous standards that have been broken. And so everything's legal. Everything is, I need a lawyer. I need a defender. I need someone to give a righteousness I don't have. But what we can often overlook, what makes this righteousness available, 
And then I hear a verse that says, God so loved the world. They say, oh, let's don't get gooey. Don't get gooey. This thing comes out of the heart of God, the mercies of God. And he shows back here, oh, you talk about a lover. This God is a lover that will woo us, pursue us down through the labyrinth of time, making himself revealed. And you see it just with a faint sketch in a Boaz that doesn't know this Gentile girl, not at all. Who are you? And he says, I've come to love this girl. I'll pay the price. I'll bring her into the family tree and I'll redeem the family name. The Romance of Redemption, a marvelous look at the book of Ruth, and it is yours for a gift of any amount this month, our way of saying thank you for being a TFT sustainer. Now, by the way, as you contact us and become a TFT sustainer on a regular basis, some of the other resources available to you are our quarterly newsletter, our once-a-year special gift, and take a break with Pastor Phil. It's the weekly video devotional that we have available. And again, that is for our TFT sustainers. No matter how big or how small the gift on a monthly basis, it's our way of saying thank you for partnering with us and allowing us the opportunity to continue the ministry of Truth For Today right here on KFAX. You can reach us at 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. We're here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today. And until next time, May the Lord richly bless you.